You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Before I get into this message this morning, which will be the final message in our series in Ephesians, I know, it's sad, Um, but I'm sure we'll come back to the book at some point. Uh, I just want to make a couple of just general announcements about some things that will be taking place over the next few months, and I actually leave to fly to Manila uh, this Thursday. And I will be in the Philippines for a couple of weeks. I'll be working. Uh, it's a intensive, in-person intensive there with my classmates as we're working on our master's degrees there. And um, so you can pray for me and my family as I'll be there. Then when I get back, I know our uh, youth are headed to Baja on their mission trip. So I won't see Carla for about three weeks um, or really a lot of my family. But I appreciate your prayers during that time. Next Sunday, Dr. Chris Johnson will be here preaching. And uh, I'm super excited about him being here. We have some guests that will be here, plus some of our own, like Kevin, Carla, but then also other people that will be coming in. Maybe you've seen that lineup. So don't miss it. It's going to be an amazing time. I love the summer when we do this and uh, a little bit of a break for myself, but to have some other voices in our Every Nation family uh, to come in and to preach and to just encourage you. And I think that it's a a wonderful way to just feel the diversity of who God has made us as a body of Christ uh, worldwide, but then also in our own region. So looking forward to them being here. And then also uh, when I get back, obviously I'll be here some this summer, but in the fall, when everything starts to kind of get a little bit back to normal, uh, we're all here a little bit more together. We're going to be doing some exciting things as it relates to our government here, as far as our elders and our board of advisors, and then even some deacons and deaconesses that we will be installing in the fall. So I'm excited about that. You'll hear more about that as we get there, but I just thought it would be important to let you know some of those things that are taking place, some of it behind the scenes, but then also over the next few weeks as we welcome a lot of amazing guests here to preach, and please keep praying for me. So, let's get into this morning's message. The year was 1970, an amazing year. Some incredible people were born that year. Um, I won't talk about all that were, but I was one of them. And uh, yes, that same year, a man by the name of Charles Edwin Hatcher or better known by his stage name, Edwin Starr, released a song through Motown Records entitled, War. Good God! (laughs) I know who knows that song, but it it was a protest song against the war in Vietnam, and it spent three weeks at number one on the Billboard charts. But it was interesting as I was reading the the lyrics, uh, one of the verses, because a lot of us might know it, or maybe you kind of remember it from Rush Hour and Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan, and they kind of brought that song back out. But uh, one of the verses says, war I despise, because it means destruction of innocent lives. War means tears to thousands of mothers' eyes when their sons go off to fight and lose their lives. I said, war. 
<laughs> you know, what is it good for? It's a terrible thing. Yeah, somebody knows it. It's a terrible thing. It's horrific. And so in trying to describe the gravity and the seriousness of living a life that pleases God in a world that is fallen and still affected by an influence by Satan and sin, the metaphor the Apostle Paul used was war. Interesting that he would use that metaphor because God never intended, never wanted us to have to deal with the horrors of war. It nonetheless became a normal, consistent part of our broken world after the fall. Consequently, it's something that Paul's readers would have comprehended as he was making this metaphor. They understood war. They understood the atrocities and the horrificness of war. They understood that. And some of you, obviously, I think we all understand it. Maybe some experientially, others probably more theoretically or historically, but we understand this comparison. Therefore, in order to be equipped for this profound spiritual battle that we are all in daily, that we will all encounter, Paul presses this metaphor with a detailed description of the armor of God. Now, if you've been around church for any amount of time or grew up maybe coming to church or maybe somebody in your family took you there or dropped you off for a VBS like we're having here next week, you probably learned or heard something about the armor of God. You might have drawn pictures or actually acted it out. But in Ephesians 6, we talked about last week standing firm which we just sang about, standing firm in our faith. And then in Ephesians 6, verse 13 through 20, which is where we're going to pick up today, the Bible tells us what is necessary to put on in order to be able to stand firm in our faith against the evil that will come against our lives because the enemy, Satan, hates everything that God loves, and that includes you. So if you have your Bible today, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 13. We're going to read from that, this particular verse, see the armor of God, and talk about it. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 says this, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. This is where we left off last week. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Lord, we pray that you would encourage us and change us through your word. Last week, I talked about the need to stand, but not just stand, 
to stand and sing. Why? Well, standing is a position of strength. We think about that, right? We could think about taking a solid position of standing in strength. That's what this is. In case, in this case, we're talking about not our own strength, but the strength of the Lord. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, Ephesians says, that God exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that we can stand in today. It's a posture of resistance against the evil one. I'm taking a stand. We probably have all thought that, said that, thought about that in some different ways. I'm taking a stand. Singing, let's talk about that. It is a reasonable response of the redeemed to sing praise to the one who conquered sin and death and hell and the grave. So we sing. We don't just stand. We've been given a divine strategy by God. It doesn't make any sense that that's how we fight our battles, but that is how we fight our battles. We were just singing about that. We stand and sing. It's a divine strategy from Genesis to Revelation. A whole book in the Bible is a book of songs. It's the book of Psalms that we sing unto God. So we stand and sing. That is how we do what God has called us to do. But then Paul goes on to say and further describe how we're going to stand and sing. What is it going to look like? How do we stand firm in our spiritual war that we are all engaged in, whether we realize it or not? We're going to stand and sing. But here he's going on to say, and this is how you're going to stand and sing. I want to start by looking back at verse 13 and something I briefly mentioned last Sunday when it says, when the day of evil comes. Now, you might, like me, read that and go, when the day of evil comes. It sounds so big and it sounds so ominous, and it is, that we're like, well, that just must be something. I've never seen a big day of evil, or, or is that thing, or a lot of stuff that we see in our nation or the world, that must be the big day of evil. But I, I'm telling you, and I want you to understand, that it's not talking about some final evil day. It's not talking about the apocalypse. It's not talking about something far out there. More practically, it's talking about something very simple to grasp. It's not one big event or one big day, but a myriad of thoughts or actions that could come on any day into your life. That's when the day of evil comes. It could be as the scripture says, this evil day, a strategic time of intense and specific pressure that will attack you through the devil's methods, as we said last week as well. He's got plenty of methods, methods for all of us, no matter where we've come from or what we've been through in life, tailored to attack our lives. And here's some of them. Here's some of the days of evil that will approach you. It could be to participate in gossip or slander. That's a day of evil that will come. It could be to believe a lie about your identity, about your purpose, about what God has for your life, about someone else's character. Your enemy loves to accuse that way, and that's how the day of evil comes. It could be a temptation to do something just this one time that turns into a lifetime. It could be to walk away from your faith to walk away from your church, to be unfaithful 
to your spouse, to give in to your addictions, to sleep with someone that you're not married to, to hate or hurt someone made in the image of God, to steal money or belongings that aren't yours. The enemy has all these methods and so much more. And I don't know what your day of evil looks like, but I do know this. I know Paul says, and Scripture tells us, that they are coming and they won't stop coming until Jesus comes back. The day of evil is coming. It's not just some big thing. It is coming every day. But here's the good news. This is what we see in verse 14. This God does not leave us helpless against the day of evil when it comes. He's not sending you out into a battle naked and afraid, but clothed and full of faith. And this is really a theological theme throughout the Word of God. There's actually a TV show on Discovery Channel called Naked and Afraid. Now listen, before you, your mind starts going to a lot of crazy places, it's not what you think. They basically take people, it's, it's stupid, and I don't watch it, I'm just saying it's out there, right? And they take these people, uh, two individuals, men and women, sans clothing, and just drop them in the middle of the wild somewhere in these dangerous places, and they compete to survive, and all they get actually is $5,000 if they win. Man, you couldn't, five grand? That's it for all that? The reason I mention this is because God never puts us in the middle of anything in this life naked and afraid. Theologically speaking, God is and has always been about clothing us for our provision, for our protection, and covering us so that we can fulfill his purposes for our lives. What do I mean? In the beginning, God created a world where everything was perfect in every way. Everything was good. And after both Adam and Eve were created, God said it was very good. A description of this perfect world is found in Genesis 2, chapter 25. You don't have to turn there. It says, Adam and his wife Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. But afterwards, when they sinned, Genesis 3 says that they were naked and afraid, naked and ashamed. This has not, this is not, has not ever been the way God intends for us to be and to live in this world. Hence why God's solution was to clothe them. He clothed them through the blood sacrifice of an animal to cover them, to clothe them in order to provide and protect them so they could fulfill his purpose for their lives in the earth. Today, you and I are clothed in the righteousness of Christ through the blood sacrifice of the Lamb of God who once and for all was slain so that we could be covered, so that we could be provided for, so that we could be protected and walk in faith. Why do I say all this? Well, since we're fighting against a powerful enemy in the spiritual world, we we need God's clothing and equipment for provision, for protection, and for covering. And God has always had a plan to cover, to provide, and to protect those that he has called. Always. Yeah. And it could be for defense or it could be for offense. And aren't you glad that God doesn't drop us in the middle of the battle, naked and afraid, and say, survive, good luck. We wouldn't do that. He wouldn't want us to do that. So instead, he clothes and equips us and says, stand 
and you can read this, whether it was Moses or Joshua, we'll see this over and over again. Here's another theme, stand and witness the salvation of the Lord. Just stand and sing praise to the one who has delivered you and witness the salvation of the Lord. There's six main pieces of the soldier's clothing. And listen, here's where the metaphor is. It's just kind of the clothing. And at that point, how the battle works, totally, it's not the same. We oftentimes think of some sort of combative type of thing, but that is not how we fight this battle. It's not like hand-to-hand combat that we're punching some sort of evil presence. That's not it. So these six main, main pieces of soldier's clothing, the belt, the breastplate, the boots, the shield, the helmet, the sword, Paul uses them to paint this picture of truth, righteousness, the good news of peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God. This is how we're to stand firm in our faith, to stand and sing. This is how we do this. Without this outfit, we are unfit for battle. So let's look at our divine fit. This next level fit. I can just keep going with the fit thing. First, Paul says, put on the belt of truth. This is necessary, why? Because our enemy, Satan, is a liar. That's why we need truth. The only way to combat a lie is with the truth, not a better or more fabricated lie. But in our world, what we think is, well, if you you lie, I'll just come up with a better lie. We'll just all lie and see who believes, which lie is most believable. No, the way we combat a lie in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives, in the lives of other people is through the truth. What kind of lies am I talking about? Lies about ourselves? Lies about our identity? Lies about our purpose? Lies about our calling? Lies about other people that we don't even know? All have to be combated with the truth. And I think and I believe this is true that the truth here is twofold. First, the truth is a revelation of who God is in Christ. That is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we're talking about receiving that truth. It's with that truth when we accept that that there is freedom and victory to be had. This truth dispels the devil's lies and sets us free. It is the ultimate truth of who Christ is and who we are in him that's the truth that's part of it but then the second part is the truth refers to our sincerity and integrity and how we live in truth this is the application if you will of the truth of who we are and who Jesus is and what I believe David prayed when he said this in Psalm 51 6 behold you desire truth in the innermost being basically what he's saying is you desire not that I just believe the truth but I walk in truth and integrity I apply that truth to my life whenever we don't tell the truth whenever we withhold the truth because that's the other thing we like to say well I didn't tell any lie but you withheld the truth I was complicit in the lie because I didn't tell the truth. Whenever we try to deceive somebody, whenever we live hypocritically, whenever we tell lies or purposely scheme and mislead, we speak the devil's language and we are no longer walking in truth. We're not wearing the belt of truth. I believe Paul is talking about walking in integrity and, and sincerity, and he's saying without it, you're going to lose every battle. 
In this armor, Paul pictures, that he's painting this picture of the belt of truth, or some translations will say the girdle of truth, and, and that just doesn't translate a lot of times in our mind. We don't, but the, it's holding everything up is what it's doing. I mean, now they got girdles for guys and girls. We all got them. I'm like, yeah, you just look on my Instagram. It's like, oh, wow, I can make my stomach disappear if I just put this girdle on. I'm wearing one today. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not. But the truth of the matter is that he's saying, listen, this is what holds the, what we'll talk about in a minute, the sword of the Spirit. And doesn't that make sense? Because if you're not practicing the truth in how you live, you can't use the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of truth. If you're not living truthfully, you can't fight with the sword of the Spirit of truth. We can't fight the liar with the truth when we're living a lie. The reality is once we allow a lie to get into our mind and our heart, we begin to believe it about ourselves and other people or about God or whatever, or it comes off of our lips and we begin to transfer it to other people, all of our armor falls apart. That's what's holding everything together. And we know this to be true even practically because in the life of a believer, lies make everything fall apart. I've seen it so many times in believers just one lie, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to hide it, and I'm not going to let anybody know. And guess what? Everything else falls apart. Next, we get to the breastplate of righteousness. Listen, we could really have a message on each one of these parts of the armor. We just ain't got time because we'll be doing this. Again, I could do it in Ephesians. We'll be in there until December. So, breastplate of righteousness. This is the believer's righteousness in Christ. Second Corinthians, I love this verse in verse 21, chapter 5. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become what? The righteousness of God in Christ. Remember, Satan is the accuser of the body. He's accuser of the people of God. And it's only when we are standing clothed in the righteousness of Christ that we don't believe his accusations. Otherwise, that's when we believe his lies. That's what we believe, well, you'll never do this, or you could never do that, or they'll never accept you, or this will never happen, or whatever, never, never, no, no, not, not. All those things that the enemy will accuse and lie to us about, and when I'm standing covered with the breastplate of righteousness, here's what happens. I'm like, no, this is who I am. No, I may have done that, but that's not who I am. I'm not that. No, God loves. No, God forgives. No, God accepts. He heals. He strengthens. That's who he is. That's how we stand with the righteousness covering and guarding our hearts. The scripture says to guard your heart because out of it flows the wellspring of your life. And how do you guard it? Through the righteousness of Christ. However, we need to know this. This righteousness is positional in Christ. It is a done, set deal. That's who we are in Christ. The, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. That is done. That is positional. But at the same time, it has to be practical in our lives. It is both positional and practical. I can't claim the positional in truth unless I am living it practically in truth. This is what I mean. The life we live either fortifies us against Satan's attacks or weakens us, making us a soft, easy target. We should see this as twofold righteousness. It's a righteousness of character, who we are, and it's a righteousness of conduct, what we do. 
The completeness of Jesus' payment for sin on the cross and the integrity of character that accompanies a justified lifestyle are woven together into an impenetrable chain mail, as one commentator says. I'll say that again. It's the integrity of character that accompanies a justified lifestyle that are woven together to an impenetrable chain mail that guards your heart so when the enemy comes to lie, it's not going to penetrate. This is who I am in Christ. Verse 15, Paul moves on to the shoes or the boots of the gospel. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The consensus among commentators is that Paul had in mind what was called a caliga or a half boot. And it had a hobnail, and I've talked about the hobnail years ago. I'm not doing that again. Any Georgia fans in here, and you know about a hobnail boot. If you don't, it's okay. You can look it up. I'm sure it'll come up on Google. It was meant, here's what a hobnail did on a boot. It was meant to prevent your feet from sliding So those nails, if you will, it's like a cleat, would stick into the ground. And then they were just kind of laced up around there so you had some flexibility. So that you would stand firm and stand your ground to keep us from sliding and falling. And you know what keeps us from sliding or falling? When we received the good news of the gospel. Then what happens? When you receive the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're at peace with what? You're at peace with God, because that's what it does, and you're at peace with one another. That is what the gospel does. It causes us to be at peace with God and peace with each other. And it's in the middle of that peace, that reality, peace with God, peace with one another, that we can stand with the strongest possible foothold against the evil day when it comes. It's when I am right with God the most and right with my brothers and sisters in Christ the most that I feel the strongest and I'm able to persevere through the battles that are going to come in my life. It's when I'm not right with you that I'm the weakest. It's when you're not right with your brothers and sisters in Christ that you're going to start sliding. I don't care how much you dig in. That's why God says you can't love me and say you hate people made in my image. And you can't love people truly without the love of God working in your life. So when the gospel changes us to where we love God and we see him for who he is and what he's done and then our eyes are opened up to see people the way God sees people and we love them particularly as scripture says specifically and particularly the people in the family of God your brothers and sisters in Christ then you are able to stand firm in the battles of life but like other pieces of armor these shoes have a twofold meaning as well we don't just have peace we share peace we don't just have it We share it. See, the amazing thing about Christianity, think about this. The amazing thing about Christianity is supposed to be a sharing faith. Like we're supposed to share everything. Isn't that what the church in Acts was known for? That they shared everything. And in this case, we should have a readiness to share, to witness about what Jesus has done in our lives. We take the gospel with us, and as Isaiah says, 52.7, says, How beautiful are the feet of those who carry the good news of the gospel, who share it. Or Romans 16.19 says, And the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. The feet of peace. Peace with God and peace with one another. The devil wants war. 
But I want you to remember, this is where the metaphor breaks down. We're talking about being clothed for the battle. I'm not talking about how we fight the battle because when we start thinking about fighting one another, which Ephesians says last week, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. The devil wants war, but let's not forget brothers and sisters in Christ. We are called ambassadors of peace. The battle is actually the Lord's. That's what scripture says. So what am I supposed to do? Because that's what we're all about. What do I do then? What do I, you stand and sing, fitted with all of this stuff, clothed in all of these things. You let him fight the battle. The verse 16 talks about the shield of faith. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Like I said, you could go into all kinds of things with these. This was a long shield that uh, covered kind of almost from head to toe, the whole person really. It was constructed in such a way, I was reading something, I won't go into it, about the different, uh, it's like three plies almost, if you think. They had this, then they had this, then they had this, all these different materials, so that when these flaming arrows, arrows would hit the shield, it would actually extinguish the flame. And here's something else about it. Another interesting design of the shield was that the edges of these shields were constructed in such a way that the soldiers could interlock shields and march into the enemy's territory like a solid mobile wall. Indicating that we are never meant to be in this war here alone. Indicating this is not just an individual spiritual fight that you're in by yourself. You're not meant to be alone. You're not meant to stand alone. You're not meant to fight alone. We are meant to do this together by faith as the body of Christ. The faith is a living faith in the power of God and his promises in our lives. And we need that. Why? Because the fiery darts are coming in the evil day. What are the fiery darts? They're accusations. They're darts of accusation. They're darts of fear, hateful thoughts, doubt, guilt, lust, rebellion, malice, disobedience, and desires for sin. Those are what the darts are. And by faith, we extinguish those fiery darts together as the people of God. What does faith do? Faith believes and trusts God in the middle of the battle. Even when I don't see the deliverance yet, I am still trusting in the goodness of God. Faith believes God's promises. It believes the truth of God. God's word, even in times of doubt, even in times of fear, even in times of lack, it doesn't matter the season. My hope is in the Lord, and I put my faith and my trust in him. And the way that I do that the most is with you. So as we said, we can go back. So when I fall down, then you're already there to help me pick me up, or vice versa. Next is the helmet of salvation. I believe this is both the measure of salvation that we have right now already that we've received in Christ and also the consummation of our future salvation that we receive on the last day. It makes perfect sense that the helmet protects our minds because that is the place that the enemy attacks us the most. The helmet of salvation, and this is the who I am, who God has made me, that is sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Satan wants to attack our minds. He wants us to doubt our salvation. He wants us to doubt that there will ever be a final salvation. He wants us to doubt that God is ever going to come back or that this is ever going to be something where Jesus ultimately is consummated wins. However, when God controls our minds, the believer is not very likely 
to believe the lies of the enemy and be led astray. Isaiah 26.3, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on thee or steadfast because they trust in you. Finally, we're given the sword of the Spirit. It's our only offensive weapon, if you've noticed. Because everything else is basically a posture of standing, defense. This can be used for attack. It can be used for defense. There are quite a few comparisons, and I'll give you a few contrasts and comparisons to when it comes to an actual sword and a spiritual sword. And most people believe Paul had in mind a short sword, not like a Braveheart broadsword, but a a shorter sword that was used for closer kind of hand-to-hand combat, stuff that's really into our lives, really close. The day of evil isn't some faraway thing. It's really close. It's like that enemy that's crowling crowling and crouching. Prowling and crouching, trying to get into our lives. They're close, closer than you realize. But here's the comparisons. A real sword pierces the body, but a spiritual sword pierces the heart. The more you use a physical sword, the more dull it becomes. But the more you use the word of God in your life, the sharper it gets. A physical sword wounds to hurt and to kill, but a spiritual sword wounds to heal and to give life. At that point, we realize how different the word of God is and how different the battle is, is that we fight. Even the offensive side is to bring healing, not to kill. Except when we fight against Satan. At that point, we want the fatal blow to be given to his lies, his deceit, his doubts, and his accusations. We want to administer a blow that will cripple him and to keep him from hindering the work of God that he wants to do in our lives. How do we do this? Well, Jesus gave us a great example. If you go back to his temptation in the desert where Satan came to tempt him, the day of evil was right there upon him. And what did Jesus do? Every single time he, what, quoted the word of God, quoted the Bible back to the devil. Do this with every kind of temptation that comes into your life, every test that rises in your mind and in your heart. This is exactly what Jesus did. But our ability to do this is dependent on our relationship with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Like, I, I can't fight if I got nothing to pull out. I, I, I just believe the lies. Unless I have the truth of God's Word, would go back all the way to the belt of truth, to combat and to defend and to attack. That's the clothing, that's it. There's the clothing that we're to wear into the spiritual war, this cosmic battle that we're all engaged in in this life. Clothing that in essence, watch this, is actually Christ himself. Here's the cool thing, man, I love this. The clothing that we've been asked to put on is actually Christ himself. Think about it. If we're clothed in Christ, if we put on Christ, who's the truth? Jesus. Christ is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 16. He is our righteousness. That's what Scripture says. Christ is our righteousness. He is our peace, the Word says. His faithfulness makes our faith possible, Galatians 2, 20 says. He is our salvation, the Word says. He is the Word of God, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is the Word. So think about this, just in case you feel like you've got to purposely kind of act that out every morning, and if you want to, that's fine, but you don't have to. 
Because here's the reality. When you receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, you received the armor of God. So yes, we put on the armor of God, but we put it on, as Romans 13, 14 says, when we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. There is all of that armor. It is Christ. By faith, we put on the armor of God, and we trust God for victory in Jesus. Yes, here's another thing to think about. We put on the armor of God at salvation, but much like the Holy Spirit that we're continually to be filled with, we continue to put this armor on in our minds. This is who I am in Christ, so that I can can walk victoriously each day because each day yes has new mercy but each day has a model or a mode that the enemy is going to try to attack our lives with the battle is the lord's in the first place as we said if it is a battle that he has led us into or called us to fight because here's the thing i will say this let's just If you dropped yourself into some battle in your own strength, your own wisdom, your own desires, your own goals, or your own sin, then you are naked and you should be very afraid. But get this, at any moment, When you realize where you are and what you've done, you can call on the mighty name of Jesus. You could call out for his mercy. You could call out for his grace. You could call out for his forgiveness. You could call out for his help. You could call out for his strength. And all of a sudden, even that battle that you put yourself in wrongly, all of a sudden, guess what? He is now fighting that battle on your behalf. Man, I'm so glad for that because I put myself in some messed up situations in my life. But when I call on the name of Jesus and I stand firm in my faith, he's the one that fights my battles. Let's close with this. Paul closes this section. Man, y'all are an exciting crowd today. I may not want to leave. He closes this section with what he knows must pervade all of our lives and all of our spiritual warfare, and that is prayer. I think so often we just think of prayer as some kind of secondary, well, if we need to, well, you know, should you pray? I'll pray. But do we? This exhortation to prayer is an exhortation to a prevailing, a prevailing prayer. Maybe you do like I do. I think most of us do. Here's what we would translate this. Pray sometimes with some prayers and some degree of perseverance for some of God's people. But Paul puts all into all those places where I just put some. And this is a new level of prayer, one that is empowered and maintained by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's not something that we can do in our own strength. That's why we need to be continually filled, as we said, Paul said earlier, to be continually filled with the Spirit of God. So that we can, verse 18, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and all kinds of requests for all God's people. All kinds of praying, all kinds of petitions, at all times, every occasion in the Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you pray. Don't just pray human prayers. Use the Spirit's inspired word. Ask the Spirit of God to anoint you to have the power and the strength and the guidance to pray so that when you pray your prayers, you're praying the kingdom of God into the earth as it is in heaven. 
All times doesn't mean that you have to be praying, saying prayers all the time, but it does mean that your heart is always bent, always leaning towards the Holy Spirit and able to discern how to pray at all times. Do I need to pray right now? Should I pray right now? What should I pray right now? There's the Holy Spirit helping us. All kinds of prayer would be supplication, intercession, petition, thanksgiving, even lament. Offer it all to God, not just a list of requests, but a litany of prayers. Probably one of the most important commands here is that we would be alert or stay awake so that we can detect when the enemy is at work and then we begin to pray. This has always been an issue for Jesus' disciples, to stay awake. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and he leaves the disciples, the three of them there, and says, hey, y'all pray, I'm going to go over here and pray, and he comes back and what are they doing? <clears throat> That's what I sound like at night, according to my wife. They're sleeping. He goes, he's like, hey, could, could y'all, goes, does it again. They come back, sleeping again. Can y'all just not stay awake? Do y'all see what's about to happen right now? Do you see the enemy, that what he's doing right now? We need to pray. Pray for me. Pray for yourself. The day of evil is coming. Watchfulness is the call. Wakefulness is the call. Stay awake spiritually. Watch for Christ's return. Watch for the hungry lion that's prowling around looking for who he can devour. Watch for the wolf in sheep's clothing. Watch for the false teachers. He's saying watch out for all of this. Watch and pray so you know how to rightly discern what you see. And it's only through prayer that you're able to watch and wait for the Lord. Because it's in this prayerful waiting that we are renewed with our strength. What does the word say? That if we'll wait on the Lord, we'll be renewed. How do we wait? We wait, we stand, and we sing. And it's in this watchful waiting that I keep on praying with all perseverance, and this means that we stay with it, we don't quit, we don't give up, we don't cash it in. This means we're so burdened and so concerned that we keep praying until we get some kind of answer. I haven't got an answer. Then keep praying! For those of you maybe who have children that you're praying for, when do you quit doing that? Never! I never would do that. With this in mind, finally says, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. He's writing this from prison. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Finally, Paul's telling us we need to pray for each other. I just told you kind of what I was doing in the next few weeks because I want you to pray for me. Praying for all people makes so much sense in the light of this book of Ephesians. If you consider the whole focus of this letter is the unity of God's people. You know when I feel most unified with other people is when I'm praying for them. There's an intimacy that comes when you pray for people and you bear their burdens and you, and you believe God's best for them. So we need to pray for each other. Pray for me. Here's the thing. If you pray for me and it helps me to defeat Satan's attack against my life, then I assure you that victory is going to help you too. Because think if Satan's attack in my life worked, that defeat is going to affect you too. It's never just about us. And I want to do the same for you. I want to pray for you that you will stand firm in your faith so when that day of evil comes that you will have victory in Christ because I know your victory will strengthen the body as well. Because every part of us when we are victorious... We can rejoice because we are victorious. 
And I want you to notice that Paul wasn't asking them to pray for his comfort. He even really wasn't asking them to pray for his safety. But clarity and courage for sharing the gospel message. Boldness in his witness. He cares less about his wrists being unchained and more about his mouth being opened wide. He's praying not that he would be freed, but the gospel would spread freely. Against that kind of prayer, my friends, there is no power of hell that can ever stand. It is helpless and defeated. And then I'm intrigued by the word fearlessly, and I'll close. He didn't say live fearlessly, because I think we often say, we're supposed to live fearlessly. (laughs) I don't. I mean, do not fear is said a lot. Why? Because we often fear. So yes, we're to overcome that fear with faith, but here's the reality. There are some things in life that would scare me particularly if I'm about to lose my life. And he's saying, I don't want to live fearlessly necessarily. I want to fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. I want to declare the gospel fearlessly, even if I'm a little bit afraid. How we live matters. What we live for matters. In this case, our standing firm against the devil and evil is not about self-preservation, but about gospel proclamation. That's why he's saying, I want to be able to deliver this fearlessly. We're not just trying to stay alive. We're standing in order to be alive in Christ. That's why Jesus said, hey, if you want to gain your life, then you're going to have to be willing to lose it. It wasn't just figuratively. It was also literally. So when we're going to stand firm, we want to stand firm so that we can fearlessly declare the greatness of God and the power of salvation through Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm... I'm praying, church, for us. I'm praying for you. I do often. Pray for me. So that when we have victories in our lives as the body of Christ, we grow stronger. And that we will be fearless in declaring where that strength and where that power and where that victory came from. It came from Jesus. And God will continue to grow his kingdom through us because we're standing firm and singing of the salvation. So just think every time, I'm going to put these things on when I put Christ on, and I put Christ on when I gave my life to him, and now I'm going to stand firm and sing and watch for the salvation and the deliverance of our Lord. Amen. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.